Uh, all right, and our big winner was. So that leaves the big winner. Drum roll, please. It's the Beervana Show, broadcast almost live in Portland on X-Ray FM and in Vancouver at KXRW, or available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. I'm Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University, and with me, as always, Jeff Allworth, author of several books, including The Beer Bible. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. How's it going? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. I guess, I guess I should confess here at the top that my allergies are really hammering me hard, and so my brain is like cotton. So, yeah, I know my normal that... effervescent personality may be slightly uh, dampened. Trust me, no one's going to notice. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a really bad allergy season. I know because my son suffers, I don't so much. But um, yeah, apparently this is uh, an allergy season too for the ages. Yeah, apparently so. And I guess it's even worse if you're further south in the Willamette Valley. But uh... on, the, on the other hand, the ideal Portland weather has... Uh, uh, arrived. We have it's bright, sunny outside. It's probably seventy-three, maybe no humidity. It's just lovely, cool breeze. Down to the low fifties overnight, so you get your house all nice and cool. In fact, I'm wearing a hoodie because I try to get the house icy cold, <laughs> and then it's cold until. So that's your weather night. update. The great weather has arrived. It's probably the the little um, you know the the, the calm deep, before the, deep, the terror, the deep breath before the plunge. Is, yeah. As J.R.R. Tolkien called it, uh, yeah, before the summer heat bomb hits us and the wildfires and everything. So we'll not worry about that. We'll just enjoy it. Uh, it's apropos of our uh, uh, podcast today um, because this is the kind of weather you want, um, but we'll get to that in a moment. Anyway, what else is new? Well, what, what else is new with you? I think you probably have more interesting life changes than I do, just given the calendar, I'm guessing. Uh, well, uh, are you referring to the fact that I gave my last final on Tuesday night, and yeah. now I'm a free agent? Yes, exactly. Available for hire. Actually, wait a minute. <laughs> Is it the 50th? Yes, the 15th. All right. After today, I'm available to hire to anybody, because uh, like a lot of us uh, uh, social scientist types, we're on nine-month contracts. So... That means I am out of contract between June fifteenth and September fifteenth. So, you know, any any uh, handyman job you need done or uh, <laughs> labor work, I'm, I'm I'm your man. All right. Well, you know, uh, we may have some work out in Astoria, but let's not talk about that. No, uh, we shouldn't talk about that. Uh, although that's a nice little tease. It is. Yeah. Though that may not go anywhere. So we shouldn't talk. We shouldn't talk about that yet. But uh, you were in Astoria recently. I was. And um, I uh, was recently looking at something, I can't remember what, um, but made me think about the Bowie Beer Company. Uh, is there any movement on there? Well, Bowie sent out, it was interesting what Bowie did. Uh, in, just in, as a communications guy, I was fascinated to see that Bowie wrote their own article about themselves and sent it out. <laughs> That's probably what I saw then. Yeah. So so just to, to, to catch people up, this is the brewery in Astoria. That's actually uh, the original brewery is on piers in the Columbia River on the waterfront in Astoria. And part of it collapsed last year. Yeah. About a year ago, right? Yes. I think that's why the press right. release came out, because it was the year, right. the year anniversary a, of, collab uh, yeah. of collapsing. And I don't know if they had already moved some of their brewing facility. Or I think they had already moved it back behind them onto solid ground. <laughs> right, across uh, across onto the yeah. Onto yeah, the so as I understand, exactly. this was like bright tanks for lagering and packaging was mostly what was... And I think the brewery actually was over there, too. Um, right, that's what I mean. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like all the heavy stuff yeah. off the pier. Yeah. So that's 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 the good news. The pub, however, the bad news is the pub is not open, and that's um. Yeah, and it was really tragic uh, because it's so beautiful. They've been a little bit. That's that's the one thing everybody cares about, and that's the one thing that they have been not so transparent about. So I don't know what's going on. They did say that part of the holdup is the Army Corps of Engineers has to be involved. So maybe the whole thing is they don't have any control, so they don't want to say anything. Which we would know, make a lot of we sense. know about those guys. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, we have a long time, long time college buddy who lived, who worked all his life at the Army Corps of Engineers as an economist, not as an engineer. That's right. Just retired. But dealt with hydropower and things like that. So. And we're old, but the fact that he retired is kind of absurd. We're it not is. that old. It is. Come on, Brian. Come on, Brian. Lazy son of a gun. I was trying to calculate my retirement and basically understanding that it's probably just not ever happening. Well, the retire, you don't have to retire. You're a professor. Right. I just, you just wander around just, until you get just, old and daughtery just, and, you know. Hope, hope that I can still find the right classroom and just start talking anything That's right. at all. That actually, that was my very first college experience was uh, a decrepit old econom, uh, econ professor uh, this is my principles of economics, my first class ever in college. And I couldn't figure out anything he was talking about at all. <laughs> like it just made no sense. And I thought, what's wrong with me? Right. Like, am I not smart enough? Do I not understand how college works? Man, because economics is inscrutable. Because this makes no sense at all. Like, am I supposed <laughs> to figure out what? Uh, no, it just turned out he was a little past his sell-by date. Yeah, but that's how I hope to go out. That's too. right. You want to go. You want to go out way past your sell-by date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, maybe we should talk about beer. Good uh, yeah, let's do that. Um, so uh, this is the part two. In 1976, a blind tasting of Chardonnays known as the Judgment of Paris changed the wine world forever. Today, in this podcast, we offer you no less an earth-shattering blind tasting, the Judgment of Lentz. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's right. It's part two of our mass market lager blind tasting, held in a luxurious conference room at Zoigel House in the Lentz neighborhood of Southeast Portland. Indeed. And it was actually quite luxurious. I it, wasn't kidding around there. It was. Uh, together with Zoigel House's brewmaster, Alan Taylor, who set the whole thing up. Thanks, Alan, because we were treated well. Brought in his daughter, Lily, to steward it. Uh, hooked us up with Miletus and Columbia Beverage uh, distributors here in town to get us the beer. Cheers to those guys. Awesome. Uh, uh, you were there. And, and then you and I just showed up and yeah. tasted beer. So it was, <laughs> there was pretty easy for us. There was definitely one person in that room who didn't belong, and that was me. Uh, we all sat down to taste the final six lagers and determine which deserve the title of the world's best. And so, we have the, we know the answer right now. You and I know the answer. Yeah, all that soon. You'll find out soon. But first, the news. The first item is both timely and topical. It's official. A non-American beer is, for the first time, the country's best seller. Thanks to long-term trends and the incredible Bud Light fiasco, for, for the week of June 3rd, Modelo Especial took the top spot. It, by the way, is contestant in our... It is in the final six. It is in the final six, uh, by the way. Yeah. It accounted for 8.4% uh, yeah, of total beer sales. Oh, there you go. But the real question is, how did it do in the judgment of Lentz? That is correct. That is the real, the real it, it is. question. It is. 
it, the fact it, that it made the top six speaks, however, to its uh, partly to its marketplace. Yeah, it's, and I, it's a decent beer. I do wonder uh, among Mexican beers is clearly uh, one of the more full flavored beers, uh, yep. more interesting beers, and the fact that it's a good seller. You know, is that marketing? Is it quality? Like, that's an interesting kind of, uh, you know. What strikes what strikes me ex post is that it's a very different than Corona. Mm-hmm. It's really uh, the sort of the other side of the spectrum of the mass market lager spectrum, which is a narrow spectrum, but it is a richy, malty, whereas Corona is trying actively to be neither <laughs> right it's just it, you want you want to taste that that lemon wedge they put in the top because you're not tasting anything else maybe a little light stroke but beyond that yeah but, but uh so it's interesting it's interesting that that one is sort of winning the war uh in a sense totally um which is credit to the american beer palette i think it is a credit to the american beer palette and also um i have to assume that in the long, long history of, of uh, brewing here in America that a foreign beer has never been the bestseller. I, I'm just guessing. Probably is the first time, first week in the history of America. Has to be. Yeah. Has to be, right? Has to be. Because, yeah, has, that's what I thought. Yeah, we declare it so. <laughs> Who's going to... Who writes the history? You do, Jeff. That's right. We declare it so. It's got to be. It's got to be. So that's a, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, um, it's not a bad beer. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's... Stick with Modelo for a moment. Uh, In the previous item, we mentioned Bud Light's fiasco. Uh, You'll remember that there was an incident in which the company expressed support for a trans woman. It sparked a backlash from uh, social conservatives. And when Bud failed to stand by her, that in turn sparked a counter backlash by supporters of LGBTQ rights. Modelo, by contrast, has been uh, and continues to support the LGBTQ community. And uh, this my my data comes from a report um, by NBC News, so I hope I hope they're right because I'm passing this along. But I found it pretty fascinating. Fair enough. Um, the company scored a perfect 100 uh, on a on a scale of 100 in the human rights campaign's support for LGBTQ workers, and they consistently support gay rights and partner with LGBTQ uh, companies and other supporters. So they put their money where their mouth is throughout the year, including with their own employees, which is. Uh, probably the best metric if you want to really, if you want to know if they're really, you know, putting their, yeah, their money good, where their mouth is. Good for them. The whole Bud Light thing is just a, you know, a culture war crazy thing. It, it's a culture war crazy thing. And <laughs> I think it's going to stand as a, a, a kind of uh, lesson learned for companies going forward and whether they want to wash, you know, use the, whether it's pink washing or green washing or whatever kind of washing it is. Um, if they're doing that purely for PR purposes, right. they have to be pretty careful that uh, <laughs> that's going to work their way. Um, and if and if they're doing it for real reasons of, of support for whatever cause they're talking about, they they need to stand up when the pressure comes on because that's it's when you own your earn your bones. If you're going to stand up for somebody, you got to stand up for somebody. Indeed. Uh, how much do you think they've lost? How much of a sales loss do you think is due to this specifically, other than rather than just the sort of downward trend that they've been on for a while? It's clearly been. Uh, this, 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 the fiasco has been significant. It's yeah. been down like 25% uh, each week. Mm-hmm. It bounces around a little bit, sometimes a little bit higher. Um, 
year over year from from a year ago and and it started when the whole backlash began and you know and it's really the backlash and the counter backlash because they they have right. no friends now nobody right. likes right. nobody likes them on either side and the thing is they're in a market where it's easy to decide i'm not going to drink bud light because i got six other choices that are just the same basically absolutely and if you are drinking it because it is a marketing it's a marketed product you know it's a commodity product that you you associate yourself with because it's got great marketing it's available everywhere but you're not really super committed to it uh as a flavor profile then of course when this happens you it's really easy to trade it in for something else yeah yeah so that's yeah i think i think we're going to see a lot of people thinking about what they want to do with these kinds of projects in the future we we do have a it's (laughs) it's it's uh it's dicey out there Uh, americans are pretty dyspeptic right now <laughs> yeah i mean it's uh it's such a it's such a um oh i don't know what the right uh uh way to describe it uh but there's just so many third rails that you don't want to touch it just seems like such a perilous landscape especially if you're just doing like pr stuff um yeah it it is. And I mean, I used to always say that you shouldn't get involved in politics if you're a business uh, for this very reason. Um, it, you know, unless unless you're committed to it, if you're really committed to it, then you can do it. But you're going to you're always going to offend somebody. It's a big country. And so you're going to offend somebody. So you better yeah. be committed <laughs> to yeah. your cause. But as you mentioned, there's a difference between um, uh, sort of walking the walk and then talking the talk. It, you can walk the walk. You don't have to <laughs> do uh, uh, pump yourself up. That's right. In in in, uh, in a PR sense, so uh, interesting. We'll 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 have to track see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, I've been. Sh- I I think everybody's been shocked at this this Bud Light thing, and I you certainly do not have to be a listener of a beer podcast uh, to have heard of it. I think it's been major national news, and Indeed. I think everybody in the world has heard about it. So yeah. big deal. All right. Well, I think it's time because everyone's been waiting. All right. I have a little bit more chat. Oh, okay. Going in. Yes. Well, it's it, it's transition chat. It's segue chat. Oh, I gotcha. Uh, so after our we, we posted our round one, yes, and where we did the the prelims when we came up with our six finalists, and then I had a, a blog post. I don't know. Did you see my blog post where I talked about what what our lessons, kind of some of the things that we learned? I did not. Well, uh, I did, and everyone should go look at that. I think I think it's. Uh, was kind of interesting and you always denigrate your participation here but actually I think one of the most important takeaways that I had was in that first round you were really into Rainier uh, which had a was I? yeah it had a really it was the one it was a beer that you liked that we didn't send forward but Uh you really liked it for its familiarity nice and uh, (laughs) it had a it had a particular flavor which Alan identified as uh, uh, ethyl hexo hexanoate uh-huh. or something like that right uh which gives into his palate a red, red apple sensation uh feel uh flavor here's the here's the allergies that get there kicking in uh or it's the senescence i'm not sure which um and then there was another one that i really liked which i guessed was either going to be hams or high life because it seemed super familiar to me right and it was it turned out it was high life uh in both cases I think it was familiarity. I think a lot about yeah. these beers is there's a, a quality of familiarity. And when you taste it, it all of this kind of stuff comes up. Because you had an incredibly positive reaction to the one that turned out to be Rainier. And I had an incredibly positive reaction <laughs> to the one that turned out to be High Life. So I think these beers, for one, they're, they're different, right? They, yeah. they do taste different. 
And for the other, that familiarity becomes an incredibly powerful. Yeah, know. it's like that sense memory, you know, seeing, smelling a smell from your youth or uh, a flavor in beer from your wayward college years or things like that. Totally. Uh, can just, uh, can evoke something in it, in, you know, in a subconscious way. And an interesting thing that happened as a, as a consequence of that blog post on Twitter, which was a whole bunch of people from Canada and, and some from Washington, uh-huh. had a big connection to Kokanee, ah. one of the other ones, a, a beer that none of the three of us had ever really tasted or were familiar with. Yeah, and we wouldn't have grabbed it except for one of the distributors brought it along, which is great. Yeah, totally. And apparently it is a much beloved beer in British Columbia. Like people really, really love that well, beer. Well, that's good to know because yeah. I'm much beloved British Columbia. So I know, right? So that's that's my that's my goal in life is to retire to British Columbia. It's it's their uh, Henry Weinards or Rainier or something. It's like their 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 local mass market lager. That's amazing because I remember um, in college, uh, what was it? Moosehead, Moose Jaw, Moose... Moosehead, yeah. M- Moosehead. And I always sort of thought, oh, Moosehead must be the British Columbia beer, but I guess not. I guess Kokanee. Yeah. I don't I don't know where Moosehead is from. I, I think Moosehead is from the East, but I don't know. Oh. I remember liars. Moosehead when I was a kid too. And it, came, <laughs> it also came in the green bottles. Yeah, it was kind of a popular beer, at least in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Um, so that's how, I, that's how I knew it. Well, why don't we uh, review where we are in the Great Lager Taste Off? We have uh, chosen our finalists, our finalists by number. Yeah, we meant that we may. We, this may be repeated later because we can't remember what we said on our last. <laughs> and we're too lazy to actually go <laughs> re-listen to the recording. But just to set the table, that's right. Because uh, you know, it, it always helps. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, number one was Modelo. This is this is uh, the finalists by their number um, in the final round. Number one is Modelo. Number two is Miller High Life. Number three is Coors. Number four is Heineken. Number five is Kokanee. And number six is Pabst Blue Ribbon. So when we talk about them, uh, those are the beers and the finalists. So those are, congratulations, by the way, because if you've made it to the finals in the judgment of Lentz, You've big done deal. well. You've done well. Very yeah. big deal. Yeah. We have a we have an international competition of four countries. We have four countries and six beers. Yeah, so which is pretty cool. I think we did our job. Uh, you know, goes to show that we're not homers. We yeah. have sophisticated international palates. Mexico, Netherlands, and uh, Canada are also represented in our final six. In, and and of course these the United States. And these United States. Well, that yeah. that goes without saying. That's right. Uh, okay. Well, shall we? Uh, 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 um, Re- make the big reveal. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> limit the suspense. No, no. What am I trying to say? Uh, yeah, let's let's go. Here at the Zoigel House Brewery, as we were before, drinking beer provided to us by uh, Melitas and Columbia. Columbia. Yes. Uh, we have Patrick, uh, Alan Taylor of Zoigel House, and myself, and we have six beers that we have tasted. We have crowned a champion. Only one can be champion. Uh, that can be is, only one. This is the be- the best mass market lager in the world, as decided by us. <laughs> today. Uh, today. <laughs> but before we uh, get into uh, the, the winners and the, and the, the not-quite winners, uh, one thing that is interesting as you're tasting these beers is to kind of see the different thinking about uh, from, with, from each brewery about what constitutes a good mass market lager and how they are positioning their flavor profile to meet different customers so i thought it would be interesting and actually this really comes out because we had one kind of outlier beer of our top three and we weren't sure what to do with it 
so I thought maybe we should talk a little bit about this style and uh, you know what 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 it should be, what a good example is, and what the kind of range of interpretations are. So so Patrick started. Yeah, Patrick, what do you think? The the interpretation of mass market lager, what it should be? Yeah, should be based on our tastings and your experience as a, a mature taster. <laughs> oh, oh I thought I think you meant like what the what the punters are looking for in a mass market. Yeah, I'm just yeah. gonna say something for the listener. Yeah. Um, as we started talking, Patrick, the professor, was looking at his phone, so I had to call him out. <laughs> I was I was doing research as a good scholar, yes. uh, so that our our uh, discussion would be well informed and not out of our you know what. Uh, so I think which, which is a real departure for this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, trying to trying to raise the level as always. Uh, to me, the mass market lager is one that sort of appeals to the common de- lowest common denominator. So it tends to be light in color, uh, a little bit um, uh, mild, shall we say, in the flavor fro- profile. So uh, uh, it's a lager, so malt forward, not a lot of ester, not a lot of hot, uh, yeast notes. Um, mildly hopped, usually for bitterness, less than flavor or aroma. Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, moderately carbonated, decently carbonated, uh, and then what? AB, uh, ABV probably low fives, five point one, five point two, something like that. Yeah, and in our pot, in our, our tasting, we we did throw one light beer in with low blight, just because it's the one of the most popular beers in America. But um, light beer and regular full flavored uh, premium lagers are definitely different so I think we wanted to com- mostly compare apples to apples here right and we we didn't do any light beers for this one because these were already light enough for our purposes yes and and one thing I would say on the brewery side is that the typical mass lager often has some kind of an adjunct typically corn rice the reason for that historically is when the Germans emigrated out of Germany, came to America, they started finding whatever barley was available. Typically, it was not the two-row barley they were used to in Germany, which has low low protein levels and a lot of carbohydrates, little husk, they're much rounder, plumper kernels. The American was typically six-row, which tends to have more protein because the kernels, there's six per layer, six per row, kind of, if you think of the stock, each time you go up, there's like two opposite each other in Germany, and then like four little micro ones that just get discarded. In America, there's six pretty uniform-sized kernels on the mm. stock as you go up through the stock. So they have less carbohydrate to protein. There's more um, <clears throat> tannins because there's more husk. There's a lot more things that you don't want in your beer. Right. So in order to bring your protein levels down to have good free amino nitrogen, to have your right protein levels, to have not too much turbidity in the beer, you add a carbohydrate that is not bringing a lot of other things with it. Right. So corn, rice, when they've been defatted for the corn, you've got the rice, all the endosperm removed that you don't want. Those are very clean things that actually bring all of the brewing factors of where they should be for the brewer. Right. And, and a big part of that historically was uh, at about the time that all the German brewers were coming, uh, this, this weird provincial beer from Bohemia was starting to become popular. So they were trying to get really beautiful pale beers, uh, but this chunky, uh, high-protein malt that they had was was leaving chunks behind and not being yeah. not being handsome yeah. so they had to figure out a way to yeah. and there was the a, there was a massive wave in 1848 with all the revolutions in germany and and austria hungary 
that also precipitated a lot of them coming over. So that was, like I said, the same time frame as Pilsen becoming very popular. So it all kind of comes in alignment that if you look at a lot of these mass loggers, they often have German last names. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Pabst and Miller, the two yeah. beers that we have Bush on the table. And Bush and Anhoisa. No, those are not on the table, this table. Not this table today. Yeah. Uh, and I, th- I think interesting uh, how... So you, you, we, I think most people will consider mass market lagers to have an extremely narrow frame uh, of, of flavor, what they, can, what, what they can do. And I think that's always been a little bit uh, inaccurate. And, and if you do a tasting like this, if you find 18 of the you know, best-selling international mass market lagers, you do see a, quite a bit of variability. And we were hoping, we were a little bit anxious about this, that maybe the beers would taste too much alike and it would be a dud. Um, but they don't taste too much alike. Some are actually quite sweet. Um, some have a remarkable amount of esters, which I'm curious. Do you think that's a brew house thing? Are they just, uh, is that a function now of trying to get beers through fast? Or what do you think is going on? No, I don't that? think that's the issue. I think it's, it's um, yeast strain. Each brewery has its own yeast strain they're working with. And the house strains can often be very sweet generous, individualistic, different. Um, so if you get a Coors, that yeast strain is going to be different than an Anheuser-Busch beer, and 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 uh, but I don't think they're rushing their beers through. So they just pick the flavor profile that they like and they've appreciated over time, and they just try and emulate that again. So I think the yeast strains are the ones that they've had in house that they've liked. Then kind of like the the concept with uh, the Skunky Becks, that is the flavor profile. They have to keep matching that profile when. Pilsner Oakfell was purchased after the wall fell by an international conglomerate. They installed a large number of cylindroconical stainless steel tanks. They moved away from their open wood fermentation. The beer changed radically and everybody freaked out. And then they had to start arresting the fermentation reduction of dacil to leave the dacil in the beer so that the beer tasted like the beer used to. Each brewery is kind of confined by the expectations of their consumer to hit the flavor profiles that they're expecting. So that's why, you know, Anheuser-Busch or the Bush beer we taste, it has that ethyl butyrate aroma. Which is? Uh, the- which is kind of tropical fruit. Yeah. It comes from butyric acid, which is a very nasty flavor. Flavor tastes like, smells like vomit. <laughs> the beautiful thing about ester is you take, uh, was it alcohol and a, what's the other thing? Put them together and get an ester. Is it an amino an acid? acid? It's an acid and alcohol put together. Do that, yeah. So, butyric acid and alcohol create ethyl butyrate, which is actually very pleasant. Right. And I mean, I think we always talk about how clean and crisp bloggers are, but uh, a number of the ones that we had were very fruity. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, that is definitely an allowable thing. I mean, it seems like a high ester profile is way more common than any kind of hop flavor, which yeah, is sort of absolutely. interesting. You don't think of uh, uh, lager being characterized by, by fruit, but a lot of these are. Yeah. So they're actually more yeast forward than we expected. Totally. Yeah. 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 We didn't expect hop forward. We didn't get hop forward. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but we got more yeast forward beers. Yeah. Uh, and we, you know, we, we see a fair amount of variation in color, uh, even on the table that we have here, the, the, one of the beers that we have, it's quite dark. Um, I mean, almost, I mean, it's, it's, it's past golden onto something yeah. else. Yeah, it has light orange hue to it for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then some of them are super pale straw, like Pilsner malt 
with rice or corn, so very little color. So, you know, you have variability there. And then uh, we did definitely notice uh, the brewer competency issues. So we, we had diastole in some of them. We had some kind of funky off flavors in some of them. Um, Alan, I assume we always talk about how hard it is to make a Pilsner. Um, that's kind of the cliche in the industry. But I assume these are even harder to make because, uh, particularly on a consistent level, because you're working with so few flavor components. Is that, is that probably true? I think trying to make these beers consistent batch to batch is a lot harder because the consumer is expecting it. It's kind of like the McDonald's effect. You want your quarter pounder with cheese to taste the same in Bangkok as you do in, in Sao Paulo and the same as in Milwaukee. You know, right. They're all supposed to taste the same. So trying to make your, your bud or your bud light the same across the border with different breweries and different facilities and different water sources, different tank configurations, everything is different. And it's really hard to make those beer the same every time. So because they're mass markets, they have those issues that to deal with. You know, us here, for us at the brewery, we have our single brew house that we make our beer on currently. And those Zogo House beers all come out within very similar parameters throw that send a whole bunch of that down to california or to, to colorado or to the east coast and then all the water supply is different they have to it's, just a, it's a lot harder to do right so I've, i remember when i <clears throat> graduated from the vlb and i was talking to my college roommate when i got home it's like would you think it'd be horrible if i worked at anheuser-busch it's <laughs> like no they make consistently good beer right and i was like cool so a super craft beer drinking guy I started homebrewing with in 1990 was, was cool with that concept as well. And I appreciated his understanding of that at the time. And I, I personally have always felt like if you're so deep in the weeds that you can't appreciate one of these kinds of beers, it's like the one style of beer you can't appreciate. Um, you know, you're too much of a beer geek that you, you're kind of cutting yourself off from the experience of beer because these can be very good beers uh, situationally. And... Mm-hmm. They're, they can be celebrated for what they are when they're well-made. Um, they're, they're definitely low flavor impact, but that doesn't mean they're bad beers. And I think right. those two things are conflated a lot. And, you know, they're, pe- people often refer to them in, in derogatory terms, but uh, a good mass market lager on a hot day is awesome mm-hmm. um, and preferable to, you know, a 7% hazy IPA, <laughs> which is going to be pretty thick and gross. So... Um, finding the ones that are good, I think, is 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 cool because uh, you, you should probably be drinking these from time to time. We had yeah, we brought six forward from our tasting last week. Uh, in real time, this is the this is later this afternoon. But um, we had uh, I don't know they were scrambled, so I can't remember which ones came out of which rounds. But we had. Do you want to read these off, Patrick? Yeah, I'm there was uh, Modelo Especial, Miller High Life. Coors, the banquet beer, uh, Heineken, uh, Coconut from Canada, and Pabst Blue Ribbon. So we had three, three domestics and three foreigns, which three was kind of cool. Three domestics, three foreigns. That was yeah. unintentional, but awesome. Uh, uh, five North American. <laughs> uh, so we had the Coconut from Canada, we had the uh, Modelo from Mexico, and Heineken um, from the Netherlands. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah, right. <laughs> you look like, puzzled. I, I, I forgot about Modelo. I was all confused. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Geography. Uh, I was told there'd be no geography. <laughs> Although you have to ask yourself who the owners of these breweries as well. It could be more international than yes. just the three, but that's a different topic. That's right. Yes, that's right. 
uh, yeah, High Life is owned by the second largest conglomerate, which has 8,000 breweries nationwide or worldwide. And Molson Coors is also international. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And they're the, kind of the same company. Uh, I don't know who PBR is owned by at this point. PBR, I think I, it's independent. I think they're still independently owned. That was my research that I got called out on. Yeah. Uh, apparently, they're brewed by Molson Coors. Okay. Ah, in yeah. Milwaukee? Uh, that I couldn't Golden, determine. Maybe, yeah. In in one of their brewing facilities. Interesting. Or, or more, many, probably. Yeah, yeah, probably quite a few. <clears throat> we we noticed we pulled out the Pabst uh, because it, it broke into the finals, and we may talk about it more even than that. Uh, and it doesn't say on the can, which we thought was yeah. required by law, but apparently not. And I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Heineken has brewing facilities. I think they might even have one in Brazil. Mm. That's why I can always get it in Brazil. Like huh. It might be brewed in South America too, but what we got was probably brewed in Netherlands. I think so. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, how do you want to do this, uh, Chief? Why don't we Why don't we go from the ones that we did not select in our okay. top three? All right. Uh, so, uh, shall I? Yeah, do. All right. So, the three that didn't quite make the finals, they didn't make top six, but were Miller, uh, Coors, and Heineken. Yeah, and I was I was disappointed that High Life didn't make it. I have to say, <laughs> you remember from my, uh, the first round, I, I dead eyed that, and I was very proud of it, and I thought it was an awesome beer. But I, I couldn't in this round even identify it. So, uh, that was embarrassing. <laughs> I yeah, I expected that it might make it to the final three, but it did not. No. Um, anything in particular that you wanted to say about these beers and why they didn't quite make it? I mean, I think from my experience, they these all these six beers were. It was tough. Yeah. They, yeah. They, you know, they, we did select the top third uh, of the 18 beers we had. And, uh, so we didn't have any of those weird beers that had diacetyl or other problems. Yeah, right. My sense is that by the time you get to this final round, after you've tasted so many, that the more distinct ones kind of pop. Um, that can be an issue. Which is, which is something I think like when we did our IPA taste off, that was true as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Although when we get to talking about the final three, that'll be a topic of discussion too. That's right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I, yeah. I guess. Um, uh, yeah. I don't really have anything more to add about the bottom three. The top three are more interesting. All right. Shall we do the top three in reverse order? So the bronze winner. Well, we could we could do it that way. We should have talked about this beforehand, but we can do it now. No, let's produce on on the air. Let's go for it. Uh, all right. Excellent. <laughs> well, we could we could also do uh, the two that. That were not controversial, and then and then mention the one that was controversial. But then I guess that doesn't lead up to the big deal. So uh, I think when it came down to it, our basic philosophical question was: Are we looking for the mass market lager that is easiest for everybody to drink, is bright and crisp and clean, yep. or do we want to look at rewarding a brewery that steps outside of that comfort zone? and hits a little bit more malt flavor, a little more hop flavor, stuff like that. That was kind of where we were dealing with the final three. Yeah. And we had one weird outlier beer, yeah. which read, so we're, the three beers that uh, are in the final three were Kokanee, Paps Blue Ribbon, and Modelo Special. So you can think at home, it, which one of those might be the outlier? Because I, I wouldn't have guessed. I was actually surprised and I didn't remember that this beer was this flavorful. So the whole thing was kind of yeah. interesting. Well, I'd be surprised if, it, if most people at home had tried Kokanee because I had never yeah, had true. it before. Yeah, uh, I hadn't either. But so uh, well, I'm just going to go ahead and produce Do it, man. independently, man. So the bronze medalist was Modelo Especial. 
And that was our outlier. That was the outlier. It was distinct in that it was darker colored and much more malt forward. Um, and had hops. Notable hops. And had notable hops. So in a sense, objectively, you might consider it the most, I don't know, I don't want to say full, accomplished, what... I don't, was, how, I don't know the adjective to use. <laughs> it was more like a what you'd expect a craft lager interpretation of a log. Like sometimes you'll, a brewery like Allen's will make a, a beer, a mass market lager, and they'll end up tasting a lot more full flavored than yeah. a mass market lager, because that's the expectation of your customers. Right. Um, and it kind of was in more in that range for me. What do you think, Alan? You're the brewer. And it reminded me a little bit of like I could kind of feel like these. The Mexican breweries that that were founded or had big influences by the, the German Austrian brewers that came over mm. had more malt flavor, more you know even up until the eighties nineties they still had some darker lager beers yes. that are still available. But this one reminds me a little bit more of that. It definitely has a little bit more of an orange hue to it. It has more malt flavor. It's kind of like a Vienna. It is very similar to a, a nice clean crisp Vienna. Mm-hmm. I definitely got more sweetness. I had more caramel flavor in it. It was definitely the darkest on the table. Finishes clean. Uh, does a lot of nice stuff. Very bready, yeasty in the aroma. Mm-hmm. Nothing else was bready, yeasty. Everything right. else was very low aromatics, more corn, malt, very light. So this was definitely an outlier for me too. Yeah. So if you're if you're scoring at home and you want to go out and buy the beer that we said was the best. You may actually like this one better than the other ones. So, FYI. Modelo. Modelo. Bring in the flavor. Okay. Uh, in the second place, silver medalist uh, was the Kokanee. Which was a <laughs> shocker for everyone. Yeah. So, what, what was great about the Kokanee? Okay. That was the... Besides the cool name that we're not sure if we're saying properly. Yeah. Right. Kokanee. Kokanee. <laughs> Uh, it so the the last two were I think similar in some ways, uh, in that they were like you said, Alan, more classic presentations. Um, this one was for me a little bit. It was it was it had a nice clean finish, but it had some malty character in the nose and the the mid palate, um, just but clean. Had a nice medium sweetness, the, a little tang tart mid palate that brightened it up and made it very approachable wasn't totally bland and boring it Mm -hmm. wasn't watered down had a decent body yeah that is one thing going back to mass market lagers and their character there are some of these that we had and i know that people actually don't necessarily hate this but i I do not love it um where they're they they feel watery and hollow in the middle uh and i don't we did not reward that approach to this time of year uh, but it's pretty common I, you know we had a number of the beers that were that were watery so uh, yeah yeah I liked I like the the sort of light bready uh, malt notes and the but the uh, bright I use lemongrass too much as a descriptor but kind of a, a brighty fruity note on top um, it's very nice and because I have my smartphone with me I can confirm that kokanee is both a salmon and a town in British Columbia, and the beer is from British Columbia. So. There you go. So almost I, Oregon. I knew. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I, in the Pacific Northwest, maybe. I knew it was uh, salmon. I did not. Yeah, I did. Uh, all right, and our big winner was. So that leaves the big winner. Drum roll, please. 
Pabst Blue Ribbon. Pabst. The hipster's favorite. At least it used to be. I guess that, that era is over maybe, but Pabst Blue Ribbon came in number one. Yeah. And I, I personally was pretty surprised about that. If you'd, We should have guessed, I, I thought after we had done this, it would have been interesting if we'd all selected the beer we thought was going to show the best. I would not have picked Pabst for sure. I would not. Before we started. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at those 18 beers. They're going to have to change their name now to tap Paps Two Blue Ribbons. That's true. We're just giving them a second now. Yeah. The first one, by the way, from the 1893 World's Fair, just so you know. That's that was in ribbon. Chicago, if I recall. I think so, yes. yeah. <laughs> Very See, nice. all kinds of things you can learn if you look it up. Uh, brewed by the Miller Coors Company, so they're no longer a brewing uh, beer company. They're a contract brewing beer company. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do we like about the Paps Blue Ribbon? I got a little spicy hop in the nose, actually. Mm-hmm. I was surprised by that. It was bright and crisp with a real nice tart mid-palate. Mm-hmm. Just, just, I called it sort of lemon, nice. lemon sweet. It was very, yeah, very bright, tart on the on the tongue, very quaffable. Yeah. There were a few beers that just tasted American to me. They had a, they didn't taste European. They tasted American, and that was a note that I had here, uh, and. I had it for high life as well. So there's a, a kind of a, I think there is a, a character, and it, maybe it's the use of corn, I don't know what it is, um, but they're clean, they're, they're crisp, they're bright. Um, I don't know, they're a little bit sweet in the middle, mm-hmm. familiar. And one thing else to keep in mind is we're drinking these significantly warmer than your average consumer will be. Yeah. If you're thinking about the complaints about the beer being hollow and, and one-dimensional, you crank, crank these down to... 32, 33 degrees, and they are more watery. They are less interesting. They are very insipid. So I would always implore people to try and pour it, you know, six to eight C, get a little warmed up a little bit. The beer comes across better. Warm up. I remember I was visiting a really big brewery. All right, we, in Colorado. Before and, we do that, you have to convert six to eight C for the American audience. Six is uh, times nine divided by five plus thirty-two. Uh, I'm gonna say it's like around like thirty-eight. Uh, no, it's like forty-one. Okay. So between forty and forty-three is kind of a nice range. Forty-two point eight. Very good. Very good. All right. So, low so that's, a, that's a nice temperature. You can still taste the beer. It's not ice cold. I, just, I appreciate that. I was at a brewery in Colorado, yes. and I was taking the tour. It was a GABF time, and it's like, here's the freshest beer you've ever had. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a brewer. I know. We get, <laughs> we get fresher beer than this because it's already got kegged. Right. We can get beer off the bright tank. But I understand <laughs> your point. It's very fresh. I had to hold the cup for 10 minutes before I could actually taste the beer. Yeah. It was so, it was probably 28 degrees, 29 degrees. It was right. ice cold. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time. Of, oh, I can actually taste the beer now. So if you don't drink at the right temperature, you're just going to have a hard time picking up these flavors. Yeah. And they're not, none of them are really bad flavors, which is nice. These top six all have interesting flavors. Yeah, and they, these, we went out and got pizza and came back to record after we'd, we'd done our judging and stuff. And I'm, sampling them and you know uh, they're not they're bad flavors are not emerging which is cool i mean that's kind of hard to pull off and with a beer beers like these and they're they're quite palatable now they're 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 not what people go for because they've lost their effervescence and they're uh, warmed up but and there's you know it pulls out the sweetness when when a beer warms up it'll get sweeter on you um but they're really clean and well made and uh still pleasant so so Paps Blue Ribbon. So, kudos to Paps Blue Ribbon. 
they can look for the trophy and the cash prize in the mail. That's, that's, that's right. Patrick will send that out to you. Yeah, uh, it's coming. We'll uh, <laughs> <laughs> crown the, the Beer Vana champion uh, mass market lager. But it's good to keep it, keep it in, the, in the United States. That's good, right. Good, Ameri- good American beer. Well, and it's uh, headquarters is still in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, so it all comes back to Wisconsin for you. So there it is. Uh, if that's true, that's great. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, that concludes our international macro pilsner mass market lager taste off. We've got to come up with a better name than that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had the great American macro lager taste off, man, but it's not tech. Yeah, but it's not really American, so I don't know. The great international slash American macro lager taste. Yeah, off. it's totally international. America is international. Well, okay. Kind of. The great uh, <laughs> United States plus other North American countries, plus some European countries Asian. taste off. Do we have an Asian? Oh, we had a single here. Oh, okay. <laughs> and Kieran. It's Dang, a, yeah, all right. Kieran. So the worldwide Amer- uh, non-American and Australia <laughs> Fosters. I mean, yeah. all right. Never mind. Global. The global like, macro lager taste off. There we, go. we solved it all for you. Go get a Pabst. Pabst is the very best in yeah. the world. Modelo's good too if you're interested in more. Yeah, darker malt For what it's worth, Modelo was my first beer. So there you go. Yeah, it was. It was right there. All right, uh, Alan Taylor, thank you very much. Thank, thank you guys. for uh, hosting us here at Zoigel House in southeast Portland in the Lentz neighborhood. Yeah, that's true. While we have you 92nd on the 92nd and Foster. Well, you should close. mention a little bit about what's going on in your brewery because big changes coming to old Zoigel House. Oh, yeah. We've, uh, we're wrapping up permitting to get uh, take our capacity from about 5,000 to about 3,000 barrels. We have five 100-barrel tanks that are going to get dropped in. We have five 60-barrel tanks and a 60-barrel bright tank. And we have a used 30-barrel brew house we're going to install here pretty soon. So a lot of activity and a lot of construction, a lot of dust. You're expanding where where people can eat and drink and you're expanding what they can eat. You're bringing in more uh, food vendors. Yeah, so we're basically an indoor food pod. Out, like imagine the outdoor food piles are kind of indoor. We have four inside our building currently. As we build our expansion out towards the north, we're going to have another four in there and a really, really nice space with a bunch of roll-up doors. People can sit in, hang out, we'll probably have some concerts and some stuff like that in there. So it's pretty exciting. Really looking forward to it being being done. It feels yeah. like a very long labor. <laughs> About two years, it feels like. So I'm still not holding my breath when it's going to get wrapped up, but we're really excited to get it going. Yeah. And it's, it is coming along. So if you live in Portland, look for that. And if you're coming to Portland, check it out. Yeah. And in the meantime, the existing the existing bar, the existing pub is there and right. operating. Definitely come visit. And so come on by. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Alan. And uh, we will uh, see you on the other side. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. And there you have it. Congratulations. Pabst Double Blue Ribbon. Double Blue Ribbon. <laughs> now, you know, it was like the 19th century. They last won something that, that launched the, the company. Now they yeah. have a new laurel to take them into the 21st century. That's right. So it's a PDBR now. T- <laughs> PDBR. I like that. <laughs> they are the grand champions. So uh, I think we were, I if think... we can if we can figure out where to find the people responsible for Pabst Blue Ribbon, we'll send them their trophy and their big prize. And, uh, yeah. I think it's brewed by Miller Coors at uh, one of their plants. By but I, now we should have figured this out. We probably should have. But yeah, if we were pros. 
Uh, also, if it mattered, which I'm not sure it really <laughs> does. So, <laughs> uh, I was quite uh, surprised. And in fact, uh, as you know, um, shortly after the Judgment of Lentz, uh, you came over for a backyard barbecue and great croquet uh, off, <laughs> croquet playoff. Uh, and I bought some Paps Blue Ribbon. And, and we enjoyed it in the sunshine. It was a sunny day. And we enjoyed it. It's it's a decent beer. It's a decent beer. And what was nice, I had left some left over, and that's what I cooked my brats in uh, subsequently. Which on the Insta was getting quite a bit of chatter. There were a lot of people talking about, like there was some, I'm just going to call him this crazy person, <laughs> who said that you cook you cook the brat first and then you put it in the beer. I don't, what is that all about? Well, that I'm intrigued. So the, the 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 whole point is that you buy the brats raw, and you buy the Johnsonville brats um, if you really want to be a Wisconsinian. Um, and uh, if you if you try if you try to barbecue them till they're cooked, then you basically make them dry because the juice all all springs out. So the key is you cook them in beer, and it also gives them that nice flavor. Beer and onion, if you really know what you're doing, uh, and then the grilling is just to get that char on the outside. Right. And you can't, and you actually have to be really careful not to grill it so much that it, it bursts and all the juices flow out. Right. Then so, you lose all your beer. You don't want to do that. <laughs> you lose all of the good juices. Uh, so uh, the key is the proportion, cooking them in the in the liquid and then grilling them. I don't know. I'm willing to give it a try. I thought it a was quick, madness. A, a quick grill first and then a boil. I, I, I don't love the idea of just plopping my, my, um, my bratwurst into the bun straight from the uh boiling in the beer i don't know it just seems like well well i guess we'll have to try it i mean it was on the internet and the point however is that if you're going to do it then you need to get yourself the proper beer and it really should be a light lager i mean i've tried in a bunch of different beers and it actually does impart a lot of flavor so if you want to go crazy but and you really don't want hops because that makes it taste yeah i've I've done it in a big ipa before (laughs) just for fun and yes it tastes like hops and that's not exactly what you want with your brat right if you ask me uh, so a light lager is good. A light lager from Wisconsin is even better. I'm going to call Paps with the Ribbon from Wisconsin. Screw it, wherever they're from, but uh, wherever they actually brewed. But uh, right. but a Miller, a Pabst, a Leinenkugel, very best if you can get one. Yeah, which you can if you're in Wisconsin. I wonder now, if you were there now, would you would you maybe use a, a Nuclear Spotted Cow or, or something maybe like that? It's possible. I, um, I still sort of like my mass market lager. Wisconsinians. My... Uh, Wisconsinites? It's Wisconsinite, isn't it? No, it's Wisconsin. Wisconsin Indians, man. Okay, it's good. The brain. See, it's the it's the allergies. I'm just going to blame the allergies. Yeah. Tell us, are you using? A, have you upgraded to spotted cow for your brats? We're curious. I'm curious. But back to the judgment of Lent. Okay, we, we do we have should... we do have one kind of important note to make here. It's it, this whole thing comes with a little bit of an asterisk. Yeah. So so we were talking about sort of the. I definitely. Uh, felt like a like a poser i had my imposter syndrome going on especially around alan taylor uh who knows what he's talking about um which is unique for this podcast (laughs) (laughs) uh but uh when we did the the round of the, the final round of beers and um my top two were kind of Modelo and kokanee right and i was convinced by and i did quite like Pat's Ribbon, although I know the first round when I tasted it, there was some little flavor that I, I wasn't so sure about. Um, and and as, as we discussed off air, uh, I was the idiot who 
who tossed my notes. Um, so I can't, I can't tell you for sure. But, um, but actually, Kokanee and PBR, I thought, were similar in sort of style, the sort of bright, fruity kind of... Right. Um, but I think that's why Alan was... He was saying that Modelo is kind of an outlier. It's, it's so full-flavored yeah. that it's maybe not a good representation of mass market lager, which was persuasive to you and I think ultimately persuasive to me. On the other hand, when I'm going to the grocery store the next time, I'm going to buy a Modelo, not a PBR, just... Between you and me, yeah. And so every the Modelo, listener out there, the Modelo is rich and malty, and definitely f- more full-bodied beer, and kind of a more um, I don't know rounded-out palate. Yeah. Uh, in that sense, um, yeah, I really liked Modelo a lot. In fact, um, it was an outlier, so it was kind of weird. I might have pushed for it more, but it didn't. Yeah, I think just because it was a little bit different than the rest. Yeah, I, these are exactly the kind of discussions that you have on judging tables. Um, you have a thing, you know, you, you start with what you liked and you talk about it and you decide, is it in, in category, mm-hmm. uh, is what I like appropriate and all those things. So we, we, uh, we sort of, we kept Kokanee in the middle. Kokanee was always the t- number two beer and we sort of swapped. We were having Modelo go back and forth between one and three and pass between one and three. So, yeah. Cause I uh, remember before we started a discussion, I was ready to say, well, there's a clear, obvious best beer here and it's, I was too and it was the Modelo for yeah. sure like <laughs> no question uh, but then I started thinking okay what do I want to have a mass you know the same kind of thing what do I want to have a mass market lager if I'm chugging these down on a hot day you know what right and that may still be the case although probably we had been drinking enough mass market lagers that our our palates have become really finely attuned to differences and yeah. I'm guessing that if you actually cracked a Modelo yeah you wouldn't it would not seem heavy to you by any stretch yeah I will tell you that yeah I've I've gained a new appreciation for Modelo I've always kind of considered it a decent beer but but it's really not a bad beer at all and, mm-hmm. and so as we talked about at the top of the podcast it's it's now best spilling beer in the U.S. I'm definitely uh, going to be drinking some Modelo this summer just to check it out because I'm usually a Pacifico guy. But uh, uh, in our in the tasting that we had of, of lagers um, some years ago now, we had it. I know we had it in the the uh, uh, X-ray studio. So it's you know before COVID, uh, we had Pacifico there, and it did not. It no. was not my favorite. No, so, Pacifico didn't do as well as we both thought because we both that's both of our go-to beers going out and i think alan actually said the same thing yeah uh and um the winner of that one was corona familiar or familial right uh which is different quite a bit different than regular corona so uh, it's like their premium yeah and you can actually find it in town at maya taqueria by the way um <laughs> so i get it just because i know it won but i don't remember how modelo did i think it did pretty well didn't it yeah i our... think i think we like modelo yeah so all right modelo so anyway, uh, Kokanee was our silver, uh, but really kind of the same sort of caveat. The top three are all really good beers. Right. Uh, yeah. But definitely the PBR and the Kokanee are more sort of lighter, brighter, more kind of uh, fruity. I don't know, maybe fruity is the wrong word, but, you know, those sort of bright, um, lemony, fruity kind of flavor. Citrusy maybe is better. I don't know. Um, so sort of depending on what you want. And Modelo is a little bit more rich, malty. There you go. But either way. You know, it's within that spectrum of, of mass market lager. So, congratulations to all. Uh, I'm kind of excited to have learned about Kokanee. Yeah, me too. I'm going to look for it. When I yeah, when I go to British Columbia, I'll be looking for Kokanee, Kokanee. And, and here as well. All right. So, uh, moving on, uh, we have mailbag. We have mailbag. Amazing. Thank you, everyone. For indeed. Mailbag. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, so this first one um, was a. Uh, an email from John Newman, and he wanted he had he was driving across the country, 
and he's a listener, and he thought he would like to share his experiences. Nice. Uh, it's apropos of, of nothing, which is exactly the kind of comments you should be sending <laughs> us. Just except the stats are amazing. Yes, it's it's uh, it's exactly the kind of thing we want to hear. So thank you, John. Do you want to read it or do you want me to read it? Uh, yeah, let me read the stats because I'm marveling at them. So he took 69 days, went across 19 states, put 10,460 miles on the car. That's, <laughs> that's some miles. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's more than I put on in a year. And I commute to Corvallis, Oregon. Uh, <laughs> I tried 106 beers and visited 29 breweries here he, in a parenthetical he says my wife is very understanding yeah your yeah. wife's a saint she is my wife would have after about three would have been okay we're done <laughs> these are the conclusions Asheville, north carolina is legit i suppose that like ben they have to be good with all of the competition best breweries i visited ninkazi all right hats off lazarus austin Berry house Berry Haus in tampa it's b-e-r-r-i-e-h-a-u-s in tampa Zillacoa in Asheville. I've been there. It's really good. Okay. And Bierstadt in Denver. Which is a lager house that is one of the most well-regarded brewers in America, so not, no surprise there. Uh, biggest disappointments. New Belgium. They've doubled down on the voodoo line and not like they used to be. And Sierra Nevada. <gasps> Shut your mouth. Well, I think that was the Sierra in... That's got to be the Sierra in Asheville, so I don't know what that's like. Anyway, anyway so in the last five years, I've been there three times, in there, and there's nothing new in their lineup, so... Yeah. Yeah. And that and that may well be because yep. it's their East Coast one. I bet if you go to Chico, you're getting a lot more R&D stuff. So well, maybe we're not. He visited Ninkazi, and that had to be in Eugene, right? So, Well, it's not that close to Chico. I don't know. He was in Asheville. Clearly. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, So I see. Yes. Well, now... Good point. Now, John, you're going to have to write back and clarify which Sierra which you're Sierra in. Nevada, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, I mean, that's kind of... I mean, you could probably say the same thing about Deschutes. You know, all these sort of legacy, more legacy craft brewers. And it's a, it's an interesting thing. Like, if you go to Deschutes and Bend, you're going to find fewer experimental beers than if you come here in Portland, where you have a lot more experimental beers. It's funny how they... But kind of have a house where they do that stuff. I mean, I know they do experimental beers on their two-barrel system in Bend, but I don't know how much of that stuff they're actually releasing into the uh, tap room. So. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, I mean, a, a big brewery like that has a pretty firm lineup because they got to sell a lot of beer. Totally. And so, um, you know, their big hitters kind of tend to be the big hitters that stay around for a while. So I understand that. Um, but so that... that I mentioned that not just for Sierra Nevada, but also he mentions New Belgium and Sierra Nevada. And I'm su suggesting that if he went to Deschutes and Bend, maybe the same thing. So right. I think it's a bit has to do with the type of breweries they are. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. All right. Next one. Uh, Chase Kastner writes, as a New Englander, it was great to hear the Allagash White shout out uh, on the Whitbeer episode. Uh, Allagash is such an interesting case study in craft beer. Allagash White got me into craft beer in the early 2000s. It seems to stand the test of time in an ever-changing U.S. beer market. But now, whenever I see it on a large tap list, I find myself at an existential moment. As a, quote, craft beer drinker, is it still cool to order this beer? The New England beer scene is now awash with double IPAs, double dry hops, new hop strains, new collaborations, new breweries, etc., etc. And always sitting there is Allagash White. It's always interesting to think about uh, what thoughts we wrestle with when ordering beer or purchasing a four-pack. Try something new, keep up with the latest beer trends, or support the beer that started it all for me and never lets me down. I I, I relate to this comment so well. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> 100%. Because you always are looking to try new things, 
but you always know that you may be disappointed. Yeah. And then there's these beers you know are always great, and it's always attention. Uh, do I risk it? Especially as I get older, I'm not drinking as many beers, quite frankly. Right. And so it's a more precious moment. Like, <laughs> I'm probably only going to have maybe two beers today, so yeah. uh, I better make them good. Uh, and yeah, and there's sort of ones that aren't the newest, latest, but you've always liked. Um, the other day I was in... Uh, in a pub that had uh, uh, a Boneyard RPM, uh-huh. which is an amazing beer, was an amazing beer when they start, and it has this amazing timeless quality to me, which is it's an IPA, and to be a timeless IPA is almost a, uh, an oxymoron. But um, but yeah, it never fails to, to impress. Right, so do you do that, or the New Hazy from Brewery X? Random a, New Hazy from Brewery X. Exactly, there was yeah. a New Hazy on from, I can't remember, maybe even... Minimums or maybe Rogue or something like that. So, um, yeah. So I I, 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 totally get it. I know it's a comment. I don't really have any, any pointers. But um, yeah, I'm curious. So as a beer writer, I almost always go for the, the new beer because I have to for my job. But yeah. I'm curious what people uh, who don't write about beer for a living when they come to that same decision point, which I suspect is pretty common. I bet I bet a lot of people were nodding their head when we read that that comment. What decision do you make? What, what do you, how do you choose? What's your criteria? So let us know. I will say that it's not uncommon these days that I have two beers. Like if I go somewhere for a dinner or if I'm hanging out, uh, that's sort of now it used to be three, (laughs) now it's two. And so often what I'll do is I'll think, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll take a risk on one Uh and then I'm going to. I'm going to make sure I get a good beer on the other one. And maybe I'll take the risk first. And if it's really good, then it's like, okay, maybe I'll have a second one. I don't generally don't have two beers of the same kind in any one sitting. I do like to mix it up a little bit just because I don't actually go out that much. I don't have that many beers. It's odd to admit this on a beer podcast, but I honestly don't drink that much beer. Uh, So, um, yeah, so that's sort of my strategy. Yeah, I I follow kind of a similar strategy. And with Sally's with me, it's even easier because... I know she's always going to order the beers that I want to order, like the what those old safe reliables, yeah. and uh, so then I, I experiment and then I can yeah. have, a, it, have a hit or two off her glass. And it's yeah, it's good to go out with good friends for whom you don't uh, mind sharing beer. So like you and I will always taste each other's beer and stuff, and so that's right. another good strategy as well. And then the last thing I'll just say is if you're pairing it with food, then it becomes a different calculus. Like I know that there's some beers that that go well with food and some not. And I'm definitely not going to take an experiment usually if I'm ready to tuck into a nice meal like i want something i know is gonna gonna pair well totally yeah all right well i think that's about all the time we have so once again congratulations to the good folks at paps blue ribbon if there are any folks paps blue ribbon i almost <laughs> I, I i was gonna look for this, this is an old blue velvet bleep heineken yeah <laughs> paps, paps blue ribbon exactly i didn't realize i found it online uh this is from blue velvet where uh uh, the Dennis Hopper character Dennis says, Hopper says, "Yeah, bleep Heineken." It's it's a really profane and kind of violent scene. So we don't have a clip of that, but you can look it up on the internet. By the anyway, way, just paps, re- blue ribbon. Really quickly, how surprised were you that Heineken was in the top six? Very surprised, yeah. and uh, I went back and looked at my notes, and I hated it. So I, I <laughs> I'm sorry, Heineken. I I, I love no. I love the Netherlands, but uh, the last time I was there, I was really disappointed no. with the beer, and and so. I came to it's appreciate just, it's it. It's not my palate. It's just not my palate. That's the thing, you know? You like what you like. It's okay. You don't yep. like Heineken? You like Heineken. It's okay. It's Indeed. a good beer. It's well made. Indeed. All right. Well, so Paps will get its second blue ribbon coming on 
soon in the mail. Look for it. Uh, and a few words from us going out. Please subscribe to us on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. It was great. Thank you, Chase Kastner and uh, John Newman, for sending your uh, comments in. Those were fantastic. Really appreciate it. Uh, for the rest of you, please uh, be in touch. You can send your questions or comments to jeff at beervonablog.com or on Twitter and or Instagram same handle for both, at Pod. And if you really want to know how to cook brats, go to the Instagram and you'll find out. Uh, <laughs> cook brats like a Wisconsinian. Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog and he tweets at Beervana. And I tweet at Beeronomics. I think you were supposed to say that. I was, but I can also say that you, you, you tweet or you, uh, you post now pretty regularly at the Insta account. So I'm trying to keep out. the Insta up. According to my son, nobody cares about Twitter. So it's all about the Insta. So I'm focusing my efforts on the instagram the the olds care about twitter he yeah. is he is blind to the olds jeff That's we managed thing. to do this without drinking any beer that well, was crazy what were we thinking in the middle we had the beer so you know <laughs> well we don't have any beer in front of us so we'll just have to say cheers jeff cheers patrick till next time bye <laughs>